Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Ignite Radio Live. You are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, and we are so blessed to be with you this evening. Well, today we have, I think, a really remarkable guest. Before that, just two quick commercials. We want to invite you all to join us for our Belief and Beverages Night. Find out more at massimpact.us forward slash BNB. What is it? Basically, it's a gathering of, I think, leaders in this community who are interested in being more fully formed to make a difference to really claim this region for the kingdom. We have fabulous speakers lined up the third Thursday of every month. And again, I direct you to massimpact.us forward slash BNB. And as always, we direct you to ilovemyfamily.us. There's no more formidable mission than the one playing out in our marriages and families. So join us in that journey at ilovemyfamily.us. So by way of a brief introduction, Kyle Ash was born in the Tampa Bay, Florida region. He graduated college from Emory University in Atlanta and moved to San Francisco to start a career in the technology sector as a software engineer. He was most recently the founder of a technology startup, Pantanix. Pantanix is an artificial intelligence platform that helps wealth advisors automate manual data, entry workflows from unstructured data. Sounds pretty sophisticated. Well, we'll find out more in a moment. Pantanix was acquired by financial advisor and technology vendor Orion Advisor Solutions in spring of 2021, very recently. Kailash has now moved back to the Tampa Bay area and is working to expand the kingdom of God however he can. So we're so blessed in this program to hear Kailash's background conversion story from Hindu to Christian to Catholicism, and in particular to address this big question that most of us may be a little bit, uh, I don't know, ethereal to a lot of us. We know it has an impact, but big tech, what is its influence and how can we be more attuned to that influence in our lives? So we very much welcome you, Kailash. Thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. So we love to claim the scripture from Revelation. They defeated the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, our beautiful gift of Holy Mass, and by the word of their testimony. Can you just give us your background? Yeah, so my parents are both from India, and they moved to the United States in the late 70s, early 80s. And my father's a doctor, and he... um, got married to my mother in India, but he moved to New York City with her to do his residency. And back then, he actually received a green card in India, if you can believe that, Mm before he even stepped foot in this country, because the need for doctors was so high. And they were like, you know, if you're going to come here and be a doctor, we'll give you permanent residency immediately. And I think part of the stipulation was that they had to go and live in underserved areas where populations were growing very quickly. And for him, you know, coming from South India, he wanted to go to a place which was a similar kind of weather. You know, Mm -hmm. he didn't like the the snow and stuff in New York. And one of the options was this area in Florida. And Mm -hmm. another um, doctor friend that they had, same ethnicity, same language, same caste, and He lived here and they visited him and they said, okay, we're going to be here. And I was born in this area. It's actually the same place that Governor DeSantis is from. So he went to Dunedin High School and I was born in the hospital in Dunedin. Mm. And it was a very small town at that time. It was about only 5,000 people. My mom says that, you know, back then you would, everyone you saw in the school was everyone you saw in the store was everyone you saw on the street. It was, you really knew everyone back then. Yeah. And it certainly has grown in size 
since then. It's it's you know the economy and and everything has turned up quite a bit. But um, it was a really fortunate thing to be to grow up. I think in a in a small town kind of conservative feel in the United States and. I was exposed to Christianity quite a lot through people who I met through school, you know, school parents or um, parents of kids that were on uh, athletic teams, things like that. And I, no one ever really preached the gospel to me in a way that was concrete, but it certainly was very clear that going to church, pr- mostly Protestant church, was a very important thing to them. And mm-hmm. I, I, it certainly formed me to be conservative as a person. And then along that journey, I, um, you know, found the truth of the Catholic faith as I um, explored those questions more deeply. Kailish, you're in Florida, and let's not gloss over too quickly um, for our viewers' sake and ours. What what were the internal machinations, if you will, the faith, the truth aspects that drew you from Hindu to Christianity, then Catholicism? What was decisive? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's an important. It's the most important thing that ever happened to me. So you know, lots of questions can come up from that. So to give a to give a context of how important or foundational Hinduism was to me, I actually was the president of the Hindu Students Association in my college at Emory, and wow. it was a very important aspect of my life. And even after I graduated college, I I considered that a big part of my identity, and I always use that to try to have a relationship with God, even though that now I know that's an incomplete way Hmm. to know him. And basically what happened for me, and I think this happens to a lot of people who come from an Indian background, is Hinduism is very much a community-oriented faith. It's not really doctrinal. It's not meant to be followed individually. It's, It's far more about your participation in group rituals and group dynamics as um, as a person. But, you know, as you grow up in this country and as you get into your mid-20s, you really are not going to find yourself typically going to temple as much. You're not going to find yourself going to a lot of these rituals. And it's, it's similar to, I think, what people experience in my generation with church, but I think it's even more exacerbated because the quantity of people who are really dedicated to the faith at, our, at my age is quite low because Mm. it's mostly people who are actually from India who really are pursuing a relationship with God through this faith. Mm -hmm. And I turned from being really strong in this faith of Hinduism to actually becoming an atheist. And I read books by Sam Harris and I read books by all of these kind of new age atheist thinkers. And I, like many people in my generation, I think I really bought hook, line and sinker the idea that science can explain everything mm-hmm. and that we do not have that basically god was a an invention of human beings that explained things they were ignorant of mm-hmm. and that even if science didn't have all the answers today we were we were trending towards a direction that some future scientific discovery would explain everything and that we didn't really need God anymore. Mm-hmm. That's really where I was. And Elon Musk, not, the Elon was, Musk generation. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's not. It's very common for people in my generation to believe that. Um, I think that it, and we can get into this further. It, it obviously is a misunderstanding of science because if we look at some of the greatest scientific minds of the last five hundred years, many of them were very devout Catholics, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really make sense that we believe this is you know, a, a, a continuation of their line of thinking would then disprove God. 
But I think the, the real issue that we have a logical gap on in my generation is that God, as the, the true conception of God that we know from the Bible, cannot be measured, it cannot be studied, it cannot be evaluated because he is not in this universe. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. everything that we know about science only explains what is in this universe. So it has a threshold that it could not disprove or prove God. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a different realm of thinking. And it took me a while to understand that. And that wasn't really on my radar. And I, I didn't understand that distinction. So I was more, like you said, that kind of basically science explains everything and that's why we don't need God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what changed for me was the most radical change actually was President Trump winning the 2016 election. Interesting. And I lived in San Francisco at the time. And I tell people this is not an exaggeration. I literally knew no one who voted for him. Like, not a <laughs> single person around me <laughs> voted for him. And this is because everyone was basically like me, well-educated, lived in San Francisco, same age group. And if you're just surrounded by the same type of person, mm-hmm. there isn't going to be a lot of um, variation in the opinion. Mm-hmm. And I considered myself kind of more of a libertarian. I liked free markets, but issues of faith and morals, issues of um, pro-life, things like that were totally not on my radar. Hmm. And, and honestly, most of them, I was more on that liberal kind of progressive doctrine that it was a, you know, I, I took the, the wrong side of that. Mm-hmm. And that was more from ignorance than anything else. And what, what I did after President Trump won, there was kind of this very weird emotional experience that people had waking up the next day, especially in San Francisco, and people felt disenchanted and they felt detached and they couldn't believe this happened. And many people, I think, even now, they they experienced that and had a very visceral negative reaction to it. And they became very hateful and spiteful mm-hmm. towards him. And they became very angry towards people who supported him. And they were not able to really graduate from their baser level emotional reaction mm-hmm. to it, which is sad. I, I, you know, I was very fortunate that I never really, I didn't want to be angry and I was actually more curious. And what happened for me is I started to look online and I started to reach out, especially to people where I grew up here in Florida. And I asked, you know, they voted, they voted for him. And I said, why'd you vote for him? You know, what were Mm -hmm. the reasons that motivated you? So thoughtful of you. And the things that came up, (laughs) yeah, you know, the things that came up were, I'm pro-life. Or, you know, he just stands for my values more. Or mm-hmm. I think that what is happening with, um, you know, immigration is wrong or what have you. There were just so many answers that I had never heard before. Mm-hmm. And I kept researching these opinions about why people are conservative in their politics. And everything kept pointing to Judeo-Christian values, Judeo-Christian values. And I kept reading this political stuff. And eventually I became very bored. I said, you know, the political news is basically repetitive and it is a new explanation of the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. You know, the world only moves like a millimeter per day, but they have a thousand million trillion pieces of content that describe this millimeter of movement over and over again. And I was like, this is boring, frankly. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't need to or want to read this stuff anymore. And I felt there was a dead end. And the only place I could go to learn more that I hadn't explored was Christianity. And I was very unsure about it, and I didn't really know much about it. I said, you know, I like these values. I like the things people are talking about, but this Jesus Christ figure is not for me. In fact, I was, I tell people, I was so skeptical about 
Christianity that I did not believe that a man named Jesus Christ even existed on this planet. And I said that this is all nonsense, basically. But I was, you know, basically exhausted out of anything else to read and learn from. So I started to, you know, just explore opportunities of Christian people giving testimony and academics explaining what Christianity was. And honestly, even from just the first video I watched of somebody explaining why they converted to the faith and what it meant for them, how it transformed their life, um, I was completely hooked mm. because I heard people talk about how they had issues in their life, like with drinking alcohol or with um, doing drugs, what have you, that they never could move past. Mm. And they had all these, what I what found out or what I found out were sins. They had all these sins and addictions and temptations they could not refuse. And I realized I had all these sins and addictions and temptations that I had no ability to refuse. And I had all these problems that they were talking about. And the thing that I point out to people is the level of darkness a person is in when they do not know the truth about Christianity is very profound. Mm. And it's, it's important that we realize I was a person who did not understand what original sin was mm. because nobody ever explained it to me. And sure. I was also a person who never understood that the world was created by God through intention and that every single person that was in this creation was here for a reason mm. because nobody explained it to me. And I Beautiful. say, if you take those two aspects of your life out and you do not realize that you are here for a reason mm. and you have no explanation for why you do all these painful things to yourself and to other people, you will be stuck in darkness. And that's basically where I was. But the more that I was, you know, I, I saw this philosophy of Christianity and how it explained the ordering and the explanation of or the ordering and the behaviors that I saw in the world, the more I said, this is, this absolutely makes sense. And it's coherent with me, mm. coherent for me. And then the more I saw the evidence, and the more I saw the, the tradition of the Catholic Church, the more I realized this is really what makes sense, that God became incarnate, the creator of the universe mm. came here 2000, and you know, at that time, 2018 years ago, and he established an organization for us to actually manage our sins and be able to be better mm. and that was huge for me beautiful and, so you know, beautiful there was so much about this journey that um you know was hard and i i rejected many aspects of the catholic faith i wanted to join a protestant church but what i saw in in many of those um other denominations i i didn't feel i felt no gravitation towards them you mm. know i couldn't explain why would i get baptized as a methodist over a Presbyterian over a Trinitarian over a Baptist, whatever, I couldn't find mm -hmm. that explanation. And the more I tried to research about baptism, the more the Catholic point came up. And the one thing that was very profound for me with Catholics is I saw them, whenever they explained it, their faith, their conversion, the, the sacraments, whatever aspect they were explaining about the faith, they had, I could see it in their faith. Mm -hmm. They had complete certitude. Mm -hmm. They had no doubt. They, awesome. they knew what they believed was the fullness. And that was very, very magnetizing to me because I searched for certitude in my life for a very long time. And I think many people in, in general, of course, throughout human history, we know we're seeking the pillar. We're seeking the rock mm -hmm. of God. And if we can't find it, we will just be unmoored. And that's basically what my life was. But I was so drawn to their certitude 
that I kept asking every question I could about mm. the Catholic faith. And then eventually I became certain. And that was really the time that I was ready to join and, and become mm. Catholic. And the thing that I find, I tell people is I came to the Catholic church that I was going to do RCIA. I was ready to be baptized. And I had never spoken to a Catholic person before that moment. <laughs> wow. It says a lot. So, it says something. That's so awesome, though, how the Lord works. Do First you know, through Donald Trump. Yay. <laughs> and but then, intriguing, right? And then onward. Hey, President Trump brings a lot of people to Jesus Christ. Yeah, and uh, particularly <laughs> acknowledging, right, his humanity and imperfection, and but but understanding his battle with core truth and the test for many of us who were supportive of him and along that continuum of, of is he real? Is this legit? Is this just optics? Is this just masquerading? Uh, in any event, um, what really struck me, I guess, and, and by the way, you were probably born, what, 89 or 90? 89, yeah. 89. So you're born in that era. And what's intriguing to me is maybe many of us make the false assumption that that um, the truths that we come to are, are a result of, if you will, um, an empirical, a deductive equation, right? Sort of St. Thomas's cosmological arguments, the proverbial Rolex watch rolled up on the shore that won't immediately deduce. Even if they never saw a watch before, they would recognize there's something ordered and designed that could not happen over any number of years of random chance of matter. And if that's true, how much more sophisticated is the, the human eye, much less reproductive systems and all of that? Um, Newman's grammar of ascent. He speaks of certainly inductive and deductive logic, but he also speaks of this thing called the illative sense. And I think you just gave a marvelous testimony to the power of this experienced, natural encounter that, that is anchored in truth. It is the fabric of truth, but it's it kind of comes off the pages. Yeah. And, you know, I do want to point out that speaking of the darkness, I was in a very painful part of my life. And I think that it's something a lot of people I know people in my generation really suffer from this. You know, there's many, the world is always going to be filled with temptations, but mm. because we have removed God and Christianity from our culture and our country so much, people are completely defenseless to dealing with these temptations and these problems. And I am not unique that, you know, my mid twenties were very painful mm. because I never could refuse a drink of alcohol. I could mm. never refuse a party. I could never refuse going on a date. I could never refuse any of this because I had no strength without God. And he, because of my conversion and because I joined the Catholic Church, that is why I've been able to be sober for years now. And I've been able to refuse these temptations. And that's, you know, I was just reviewing some of my notes from um, back when I started this company. I said, this is the first business that I started since finding the fullness of the truth. And I know it's going to work mm -hmm. because I finally could see beyond, you know, you can't, if you're, if you're trapped in these states of sin, you can't even, you could hold your hand up to your face and you wouldn't even see your fingerprints. Like we're so disordered without mm -hmm. our Lord. And that is what the enemy wants. Moving. You know, he doesn't want us to capitalize on our gifts and he doesn't want us to be able to live the fullness of the point that God made us for. And through the Holy uh, the Holy Sacrament and being able to go to daily mass, that's the only reason I was able to get out of those problems and do anything. So mm. it is absolutely about, um, you know, the intellectual conversion, but the lived experience of being a Catholic Christian is far greater than anyone could ever believe. You know, I, 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 I myself this. postponed my RCIA, and I know people who postponed their RCIA, and the only reason is because they've read it in these books and they know it's true, quote-unquote, they know it's true, even in the 
even in the sense of truth that they may even believe it in their interior, but there's nothing like going to church and there is nothing like receiving communion. Mm. It cannot actually be described in any other way. You must live it. And, I love your testimony. You know, it's unfortunate that, you know, we don't believe that, mm. but the hope and the point is that we can live and expand the kingdom of God, that people will go to church and people will, you know, be joyful and people will, um, mm love God through his through the Catholic Church. I love your pro- I love your proclamation. I think to many of us who are listening like Ephesians 5:14 jumps out at me, awake O sleeper and rise from your death and let Christ's light shine on you because many of us who have been partaking of this tremendous wealth, this banquet of Catholicism, maybe that that inner subjective part of us that we're receiving it, we're connecting the dots, we're going through the motions, but a whole lot of folks who have been doing that are languishing because we don't know what we're we're partaking of the scripture a few days ago that maybe we're casting pearls before swine. We're not recognizing that. And you and your testimony, I'm just so blessed that that your encounter, your journey from the pain, from your own experience of that life death in Christ and proclaiming that resurrection and the, the formidability of this life that he's calling us to now is for any of us right now who are listening in occasion in this very moment to awaken all the more fully to the gift that God has given us. Mm-hmm. I think God is doing something big. Hearing you pronounce this in this this difficult era that, uh, let's face it, coming off the last year, the tumult, political, health, all of that stuff, from that darkness, there's a bright light, and you are one of those bright lights. You know, I'd be... remiss of me not to at least acknowledge the example of Milo. I don't know if you followed much of his journey or his recent proclamation. Does that name mean anything to you? Yeah, Milo Yiannopoulos. I've, I've heard a little bit, but not to detail, so I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, no, I mean, just yours from, from Hindu, which obviously has a lot of beautiful elements in the culture, and I would say some natural qualities that are they're mer- that are meritorious, and we, we find those, that which is true and good, Augustine said, is ours, that we see that, and you came from that, God led you from that in San Francisco, too, the fullness of the Catholic faith and proclaiming it. But his, of course, is a very active, frontline, homosexual, you know, into that world and that culture to the healing that needed to take place and the decisions he's needed to make to confront that. So there's a theme here, I think, for all of us, brothers and sisters who are listening, that all of us face, shall we say, disordered desires. We all face desires, God-given desires for him, but for all of us, a magnet around that, if you will, that compass, it's pointing it in a different direction. And you're just given marvelous testimony that now is not too late to look at that and to recognize God's healing, transforming power, particularly in the sacraments. We could talk forever about this, and I, I am so blessed by it. Steph, did you want to? Well, I just, this is a, just a comment from way back. Again, just so, so, so moved and blessed by your story and God's grace evidently alive and at work. So one, God be praised. Um, and thank you for your cooperation with those graces. Gosh, just so moving. Um, but as you were speaking about darkness and, you know, where people are at and they can't even see the fingers, you know, in front of their face because of that state. And um, I guess I just want to want to comment on that in the sense of it's a reminder to us who have been so blessed with the faith, especially as Catholics, um, to step back sometimes and have more of an empathetic spirit and an understanding and not. You know, sometimes people get so flippant, like, oh, my gosh, you know, why can't they or can you believe that? Or and hopefully that's none of us. Right. But I'm sure, you know, in some of those interior things creep up. But just the prayer and somebody who is in such darkness and we all have those moments. Right. But 
that understanding and the need for prayer and the need for witness and more than anything, the need for hope, right? That mm. the Lord God has created each of them with intentionality, with the desire for relationship. And how are we called, one, to be understanding and hopeful and hope-filled for them, and also um, the the urgency, so to speak, mm. in that? Like mm. too often we become so complacent, and especially with everything that's swirling around us in the secular world today, you know, whether it's on our knees praying for opportunities or conversion of heart for people, deeper conversion of heart for ourselves and those that the Lord has close to us in our own lives, but just, I guess, the role that we play in that. So one, as a body of Christ, an empathy, a, a hope-filled spirit, and a, a sincere prayer in how the Lord wants us to respond in that. So I'm going to beg mercy again in advance and take another shot at your name, Kalish. <laughs> Kailash. Kailash. Okay. Kai. Kai. Kailash. I'm going to Kailash. I need to put it phonetically in front of me in some fashion. Kai. Like, Kai. 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 Like, hi. Yeah, Kailash. Go. All right. Kailash. Yeah. Hi. It's not Kailash. It's not fun when the substitute teacher comes in in middle school. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> uh, folks, so you're tuned into Ignite Radio Live. So blessed to have our brother, new Catholic brother in Christ, Kailash, with us. And he just shared with us. Truly an amazing journey, an ongoing journey, certainly, but how God has guided him and led him from San Francisco, a high-level, uh, if you will, business leader and player in that whole culture and the whole Trump era and the political situation, and then really having the humility to kind of ask the question, why do pe- why do people vote for Trump? What are your reasons? Through all of that, to kind of grapple with truth as it engaged him in his sin and his challenge and his darkness and how he encountered the light of Christ that led him to a fullness, not just this sort of, I don't know, uh, ideological on a shelf removed thing, but a truth that engages, that takes on flesh and blood, that has meaning for our lives, purpose for this day. And we're so blessed by that journey. I think we have so much more to hear down the road, but we're going to shift now to Kailish's expertise in particular in the tech industry, big tech industry. So we want to talk about that. And just to kind of set that up, give us a little bit of your background business story. Sure thing. Yeah. So I... I was a software engineer in San Francisco, and I worked mainly as a developer for a variety of financial services companies, both full-time as a consultant. And I would always try to start businesses on the side. And, you know, I think because my life was not ordered around God, it was never really going to work. But Mm -hmm. as soon as I started to really dedicate my life to church, I came up with an idea that worked. And... Basically, what we created was a product which would help um, wealth advisors automate manual data entry. So these businesses will get PDF documents where certain numbers, dates, names, and other types of values are presented to them. Hmm. You can think of it like an invoice. And typically what they have to do is pay a human being to view these files individually and then look at them and type in data into like an Excel file or an accounting terminal. Hmm. And what we've developed was a product which would use what's called computer vision. So that's an abstraction level above artificial intelligence, and it will imitate a human being actually looking at that PDF, and it will capture all those meaningful pieces of data out and do all the data entry for you. And so that's a process that would change something that could be a full day's work, like eight hours of work can be done in just a few minutes because the computer can do it so much faster. And that was a product that we developed and we were we were actually based out of Seattle, Washington, but it was a fully remote business. And I lived in San Francisco at the time. 
And thanks be to God, like we mentioned, it was it was actually acquired by a larger vendor in the technology space, the financial technology space. And that's sort of what that journey was. And, you know, it's a it's a huge blessing to me when I learned a lot about building technology and, and how technology products are made. I think it's important to to really make a distinction in Silicon Valley that there are many, many startups like mine, which are five people or less, which are very small mm-hmm. and they're successful. And there are also these massive, gigantic companies that people are using all around the world, like Google and mm-hmm. Facebook as well. And, and Silicon Valley is a is a place, a physical place in San Francisco, Mountain View, Cupertino, where this ecosystem of businesses were all about starting new things, meeting new people. And whether you're huge, whether you're small, whether you're in between, um, it was just about trying to create value for customers uh, through your through your software, basically. And it, I think it's important to know, like, so I've never worked in Amazon. I've never worked in Google. I've never worked in those large companies. But, you know, I knew a lot of technology founders. And that was an important part of that was a community I was a part of and new people in, mm-hmm. um, you know, as part of my professional journey. Let me press you a question and a question I've always wanted to ask. I'll call it the Michael Creighton question. Many of our listeners are familiar with his popularized uh, books, maybe through the movies, Jurassic Park, which at the heart of that was not just this action adventure. It was asking the question, because we can, does that mean we should? We see that play out in biomedical ethics. I think we're uh, you're in the arena of big tech. Do you think the culture is guided by fundamental human values? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that that is actually one of my biggest theses about what I'm going to be talking about and trying to write more about and share about is this exact question, which is the Internet and technology in and of itself is not really moral or immoral. It is about the human agency and choices that people make for the, the products that they make. And I would say, on average, what we see in technology products, particularly in the consumer realm, are are made with without the consideration of certainly not Christian values, but really any type of morality. Hmm. And I think the problem that we face in this country and in this world is that we have not understood that people have basically poured billions and billions and billions of dollars into making addictive products and making products which are meant to fracture your time away from your family. They're, they are meant to get you to look at an LCD screen for as long as you mm-hmm. can possibly look at it, mm-hmm. you know? And we absolutely need to ask this question, not really why these people have done it, because that doesn't really matter anymore, but what can we do to counteract some of these choices? Because exactly like you said, I do not believe that the moral question really entered into anyone's mind. And it was only a question of what will the marketplace bear? Mm. And because this marketplace and the internet is very new and doesn't have really, it had none of the safeguards and none of the, the guidelines like our normal marketplaces have in the real world. Um, You know, people made a bunch of stuff that is actually in the long run, it is socially suboptimal. And this Mm. is essentially, I think what we are living in today that we have put enormous amounts of money and then enormous amounts of power into corporations and products which never had any moral framework from society or from the people inside them. 
That's fascinating. I'm just, I, I love this conversation. I think it is an area that we need to not simply look through the windows. We need to, you know, recognize that a lot of what we're experiencing practically, diminishment of relational attention, uh, a capacity to contemplate, a capacity to interact with human beings, to be creative, to get the old sheet of paper out and have crayons and markers and choose that over other things. A wide range of those qualities that were building blocks of a creative, robust, relationally robust, society have been challenged. And I, I would direct our listeners to the, the movie Social Dilemma, Tristan Harris, a lot of his podcasts. And I hear you speaking to a lot of these themes also. He uses the phrase attention economy. That really what happened, they found, is there's only so much time, so many hours in the day. And as you have these companies, suddenly they had to ask the question, how can we get the biggest piece of pie? How can we gain the attention? And then, of course, it, it begs the question, how can we addict them? Whether or not they use that language, how can they addict us so that this phone is is uh, really through the genius of of um, neurologists who are paid to, to you know know just when to get that dopamine hit to have us turn to that. So you've experienced that. Let me ask the question. Um, so certainly our Catholic faith. When did you, at the heart of this industry, at the heart of Silicon Valley, creating these products, getting all of that? When did you personally perhaps experience? That, that, you know, Houston, we have a problem here, that there's something that has been unleashed and on, on the culture as a whole and the implications that it has, shall we even just say, for faith or human relationships? Yeah, you know, I think for me personally, that happened as part of the journey when I did a program called Exodus 90, mm -hmm. which is a 90-day program for men, and it's about really detachment from a lot of these Wonderful. and. So much of that was about detaching themselves, detaching ourselves from these these types of products, and that was really when it, I started to get clued into it on a personal level because I realized you're, you you really hit it on the head. It's basically if you subscribe to the doctrine of using these products to the, the way that we are directed to use them, meaning if you use Facebook as much as Facebook wants you to, if you use Google uh, YouTube as much as Google wants you to you will basically put yourself into a situation where it is essentially impossible for you to have any level of interior silence and mm -hmm. it is impossible for you to, I mean, it, and it gets to be at such a bad degree that you will not be able to pray and it's very likely you will not have a strong relationships with the people around you. Mm -hmm. And yes, I realized, and I think several of the people in our group realized as we stepped away from these products more and more, we felt so much more happier because prayer and community obviously are things that God wants us to have. Right. And these products are, are completely, utterly designed against it. So Kailash, uh, I'm grateful that you invoked the hallowed name of Exodus 90. We are huge fans of that. I participated in the program and in this area of, uh, at least we're in Toledo, you're in Florida. I know it's spread throughout the country and we're very grateful for that, that work. I think it is so good. Um, and uh, just for our listeners also, um, when we got off of that, a lot of us men asked the question, okay, that was a special season prior to, in our case, it was prior to Easter is when we did it, um, going into Lent. And we begged the question, what does an ordinary living it out, receiving that grace in an ordinary way look like? And we created... Um, Pentecost 365.us, seven ways of receiving that. So just for our listeners, and I'm, I'm, I'm making the, qu the point here that um, 
encountering this in ourselves, the challenge, the addiction, let's just be really honest. We in our own family, those of you who know us know we have a lot of, if you'll, controls and uh, wanting to foster that inner muscle of strength to choose. But we, we try to put lines on the road because as they're younger and our kids didn't get their phones until later teen years, but uh, try to guide them. But it's still an extraordinary challenge. My point is this, when we face that in ourselves, with our spouse, with our families, and we see it elaborate in the world, Hopefully the first thing is, well, what, what can we do about this? Like, what, what are, how do we recover even the imagination uh, and, and the kind of relationships that maybe many in this generation never even experienced because they were born into this kind of culture or it's been so formidable in a formidable period of time that uh, they were robbed of ever having that experience, which means this, that there's something inside of them, all of us right now, and I think this defines culture, there's a, there's a, a languishing, uh, an intuition, an aspiration that is unfulfilled because God made us for this intimacy with himself and we're pining for so much more than what the social media can provide. So guide us through that a little bit is you are now at the front lines, I think, of drawing attention to this. And if you will, what are some of the, you know, uh, I don't know, steps we can take? Yeah, I mean, certainly it's it's hard for me to come from it and with a t- totally authoritative approach. But, you know, I would say the thing that was really helpful for me was just being open to love God more. Because mm-hmm. if, if you really want to love God more, then you won't want that song stuck in your head when you're trying to pray. Or you won't right. want that HBO show, which is totally corrupting you, stuck in your head as you're trying to speak to him. You know, you won't want those things. I think it is, in some sense, it is a change in terms of our taste as consumers. But I also think certainly that it is now a time that we need to demand more and, and look more from our government and from our leaders to to make choices which are going to curtail these, the influences of these products and really change what they've made. Because I think that the way we've looked at it basically is the same way that they've looked at it. Okay, if the marketplace bears this, then we're going to allow Hmm. companies to make it. And if marketplace bears this, we will allow them to make, you know, huge, huge, huge profits and obviously monopoly type fashions. And we're going to look the other way. And I think that we need to look at it with a little bit of a different perspective and say, if we continue to just stare at our computer screens and phones, we're not going to go anywhere, you know, mm-hmm, period, mm-hmm. end of story. Like this country will destroy itself if, and you look around, it's not, it's not even like you, this is something that's hidden. It's like, look around, mm-hmm, look around mm-hmm. when you're at a restaurant, look around when you're with your family. Like this is a disordered attachment that we have at a huge, massive scale. You know, everyone is just looking at their phones. This cannot be the future. There is no future if this is what we're doing. That is just an absolutely accurate portrait of what we are facing, I think, in our marriages and families. And we've proclaimed as an organization, really, we, we image the Trinity. Like that is our, our unsurpassed identity. And really, that to me is the theme of human existence. It's been talked about by the saints, certainly Pope John Paul II. The ultimate drama is engage, what is our true identity, discovering it and living it fully. And we have all this commercial world that is appealing to us for our identity. And certainly that's at the heart of the drive for a lot of the reaching 
searching for our devices, that at some deep level, there's a dissatisfaction. We have an image about ourselves. So to a big extent, I think it's reawakening the delight and the joy of operating in the Trinity. And just as an example, um, I'd say, you know, the past two, two Fridays, as a father of six children, now they're getting older, I didn't do this nearly as much, but just to get together with the guys, and we do this in our home too, but set aside the phones, set aside the devices, have some good beverages in our case, and just the delight of good, meaningful conversation, even the, the quality of empathy to ask that question, well, Lord, help me understand this brother in Christ and, or in our home, certainly my wife, my kids. Lord, open up my heart and my mind to be attuned, to be curious, to wonder what are they dealing with, and then to ask the right questions that kind of open up that door. I think just that dynamic, um, truthfully, done well. And it's really kind of the essence of our Live It Gathering Guide. I love my family.us, a little commercial there. But that that's the point of that. It's meant to get us together, set aside everything else, and to discover the delight of living Trinity, literally mutual self-giving love, where that that vitality is flowing. Let me ask you, um, so in your culture, in your circle right now down in Florida, your friends, your Catholicism, just maybe paint a portrait for us of, of the delight of living Catholicism. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I moved back here from, from San Francisco during, during the shutdowns of COVID towards the, towards the latter half of that, because, uh, you know, you probably are aware that the, the handling of um, business closure in San Francisco was, uh, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. basically they, they did it to a degree where it was like, there was literally nothing to do. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm probably just going to leave to be closer to my family again. And my, my sister, um, they have a one-year-old son, one-year-old at the time. And I just wanted to be near my family. Mm. And, you know, I, I knew I was moving back and, and something that I've experienced because of my conversion is that a lot of the previous friendships I had are really not um, the same because mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff they, that we might've talked about, or a lot of the activities that we did together, I'm no longer going to be a part of and I'm going to really reject. Mm -hmm. And I still, I never worried that I was going back to, to Florida, basically not knowing anyone because I was so sure that through whatever church I joined, I would be able to meet people Mm -hmm. and have great friendships. And that's exactly what happened because I relied on um, a priest friend that I was introduced to um, from, from someone in San Francisco. And I met with him here and he introduced me to many, many Catholic business owners of mm. a variety of ages, you know, some closer to my age, some mm. that are much more older than me, who are uh, close to retirement age, uh, past retirement. And I've been able to develop great friendships with, with those families. Awesome. And I've been able to de- develop great friendships with people that go to church with me who are really the same age as me. And it's been, it's been absolutely great because I've been able to, you know, one of the things that I've been able to see is at my age, someone in San Francisco is very unlikely to have a family, which is a sad thing, but mm. it's, it's very unaffordable and it's just not the momentum of the society there. Whereas here, I meet people who are my age who have two, three, four children, and I'm able to see fatherhood mm. in a much more tangible way. And it gives me a lot more joy and a lot more energy to pursue that, you know? And these are all the great things that have been able to have come to me through they're just going to church. I mean, it's not, it's not complicated, you know, just go to mass and go to a church where you really like the pastor or, you know, the, the liturgy that they have speaks to you. And I go to a Latin mass parish and yeah, just like you said, I, I never was worried about building friendships and building community here because 
that's such an integral part of anyone practicing their faith. Everyone is very open. Everyone is very welcoming. That's awesome. So, so awesome. You know, I, I always, I always think about this because I know it's from growing up here. There's this idiotic narrative about how, you know, the, the Christians are closed minded or all these white supremacists, all these racist conservatives. The fact is, and I think we know this, the least racist place in the entire world is in a church in the United States. Mm-hmm. Period. Amen. Like, Amen. That is like, you have, if, you're, uh, if your eyes are open and if you're awake at all, the, the most welcoming place in the entire world is in a church in the United States. And, you know, my ethnicity or my, um, you know, heritage, it only comes up as a curiosity. You know, it's never something that is used against me. And, and ha- it never was growing up. You know, mm-hmm. it's only a question of, of curiosity just because, you know, obviously my skin is darker than most of the people who live here. Mm. And I love, again, just the proclamation of the Lord providing. You said yes, stepped into it, and just blessed you, right? The Lord can never be outdone in generosity, and what He calls you to, He provides for. So praise God for your parish, praise God for the Latin Mass, and just that community down there. You did mention your family. How did your family receive Mm. um, your conversion, so to speak? Yeah, it's definitely a a tough point of contention. You know, the, mm. the thing that comes along with, with Hinduism is that it's a very important part of the identity mm-hmm. of a person. And if you if you reject it, which I do, uh, you know, it's a rejection of that part of the identity. And mm-hmm. that's yeah. that is challenging for my parents and it's sure. challenging for, for other people I know who have who have left Hinduism for for baptism and the truth. But you know I, that's just that's just something to work through and and hopefully share the share the gospel with them and it's yeah it's it's tough but mm-hmm. that's life. So we glossed over kind of quickly the big tech question. Were there some compelling points that were were unsaid that you want to address for all of us who are listening that maybe uh, more cautionary notes or perhaps even uh, forming us for how we ought to look at this? Yeah, you know, I think the the interesting point that I haven't really heard shared anywhere is something that the the founder of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, said once, which is I'm sure he said it many times. The internet is a country, and mm. it's kind of a it's mm. a very bizarre sort of thought. But if you if you think about what the internet is, it's basically a projection of every person and every kind of intellectual thought into this place and it has a gdp like a country that has now it has its own currency called bitcoin Mm. you know it's it's its own place and what what i think is a very interesting analogy is this point from american history which is called the frontier thesis and that was a thesis from the late 1800s by a man named frederick jackson turner Hmm. and basically his point was that american democracy was formed by a physical frontier that we had that because we were constantly moving pioneers to the West or these areas which were unsettled, we were constantly um, evaluating the points of democracy and we were evaluating the points of our culture. And I think an example of this from uh, the Civil War era is, you know, people were populating these new territories and the question of which would be slave territories and which would be free territories was always asked. And because this question was always posed, you know, we as a country were forced to reckon with this issue. Mm. You know, even if, if we were static, the, his thought is basically we would not have to think about this. And basically his his point is that America as we know it 
is it was created because we were always expanding. And I hmm. think that what we need to do as conservatives is look because we look at it and we say, OK, we have the 50 states. Basically, there's no physical frontier for us to go towards anymore. We're not going to break up any of the states. The 48 states have, you know, a, a contiguous landmass. We, we don't have a frontier in that sense anymore. We haven't had it for a long time. But what I think is a very interesting point is that if the Internet is a country, then the Internet is also a frontier. I think that what we need to do is really look at this frontier and say that it is going to submit to our will, mm. that we are going to do Amen. what we need to do through the government and through our own actions, that this new frontier is going to be under the dominion of Judeo-Christian values and American values. No one else, not China, nothing. And that will actually make us so much stronger. And I think this is something that's very mm. interesting that I'm, I'm hoping to write more about and mm. maybe even look at writing a book about, because it, there is actually a frontier for us. There is a place that we need to go. And I think that it's going to give us a great sense of ambition and a great sense of organization if we realize that the, our government has, and truly uh, the conservatives of our society have ceded so much ground in, in the frontier of the internet. Mm, mm. I love that portrait, and I'd love to explore a little further uh, at some point, and I, I do encourage you um, that that is something that merits a book. Mm -hmm. It merits articulation and some reflection upon it. And, uh, of course, Jackson Turner is a good Wisconsin boy, at least in his roots, and I'm, I'm intrigued at uh, reading more fully as I'm just online and capturing a little bit of it here. But I, I do agree 100% that um, there, it's a marketplace of ideas, certainly, that the Internet is a place where people are connecting and interacting, albeit I think imperfectly. I think we never want to give up that interpersonal, the gold standard of interpersonal human connections that absolutely is going to define the quality of everything else, including the Internet. So for ourselves, how important it is for us to cultivate those Christ-like virtuous qualities of loving self-sacrifice, certainly for those closest to us and others. I want to ask you a question as we're, we're looking at coming in for a landing for this first episode. I, hopefully we'll have more. This has been such a meaningful conversation. Um, but this this tension between in homes becoming and uh, shall we say, as we began with Matthew 28, going into the world. So coming and going. The coming dimension is being formed, being forged appropriately. Marriages, families, our kids. Because even, I'm sorry to say, even the best of Catholic schools, uh, parents are fighting the cultural factors in there that they didn't intend. But uh, they're fighting against forming their kids. And as a result, we see the data. 80% are gone by age 23 of their faith. These are Catholic, you know, uh, born in, from, from birth Catholics. So there's the formative question, which is so fundamental. And then there's also this sense that I want to speak to many of, no, we can't be ignorant of what's happening in the world. We can't stick our heads in the sand. From that place of anchoring Matthew 7, that anchoring in Christ and Catholicism, there's got to be this place of social, cultural, political engagement. There's got to be a way of meaningful in the proper way way, engaging and making a difference in the world around us. How, given your background of Catholic faith now, the big tech thing, our call to that Matthew 28, you make disciples, give us your insight, and if you will, of, of how you see uh, maybe Catholic families, I don't know, navigating that tension. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that's really important is, is forming a family. You know, I'm going to speak to my generation specifically. I think that it's very, very hard for people my age to think about getting married and think about um, settling down. And part of it is 
they're saddled with debt or part of it is the the inflation and the way that these the the values of homes has been increasing it makes it very very hard to um to have a family and i'm blessed beyond all imagination and i'm very fortunate to have a financial picture where i'm going to be looking at this but What's crazy to me is how it's so hard for so many people my age to even dream about settling down and having a family. Mm. And it's not it's not just the finding of the partner, it's the it's the whole practicality of it. Mm. And I think that what what I would think, I'll speak specifically to to my generation, but maybe it will um apply to others who are older. I think we place so much energy on thinking about our career and thinking about our, you know, going up the corporate ladder mm. when there are very, very few people, I think personally, I think there are very few people that God has made that their vocation in the private sector is what they're going to be noted for. Mm. I think the vast majority of us have been created to fulfill a vocation of having a family, raising children and, and living living that style mm, of vocation. Mm. And I think that what I would like to see are people who would not be afraid of dedicating the, the countless amount of energy that they put towards their emails and their work, put that towards your family and put that towards mm, your mm. church community. I, I think that very much, that people, if they would actually invest that energy into the people around them, their family and their church, this country would be much better off, but they would be so much happier because our jobs, I mean, I told this to people, all the time. Like, I've never met anyone who likes their job. I started my own company and I didn't like my job. Mm. Like we look for <laughs> meaning mm. and we look for um, identity. We look for this therapeutic experience in our jobs and it's very unfounded. You know, Genesis tells us that we're not supposed to like our job. You know, and there's other places in the Old Testament, I think it's Sirach that says, it's a, it's a, you should be thanking God so much if you like your job because that is absolutely incidental it's not something that is is meant to be um you know a permanent truth so i think that our country our culture is so oriented towards making money it's so oriented towards material success mm. it's so oriented towards its job our jobs our profession that and nobody cares you know you ask anyone do you like your job very few people say yes and i think that we would be much better off as Catholic families if we took all that energy and we were not afraid to just put it into our families, put it into our church. And and that being said, obviously I think a lot needs to be done that makes it that does it that prevents it from being so expensive to start a family. Mm. That makes it so hard to just be a human being. I mean it's crazy how hard it is to just live a normal life in America these days. Kailish Duraswamy, so excited to have you with us and sharing your journey, opening the door for us to uh, really journey with you from being Hindu in that culture and being in San Francisco to discovering a truth in Christ and the fullness of the Catholic faith and just the great proclamation through this program of the witness uh, that is word made flesh, logos made sarks, that encounter, that experience that uh, really illuminated within you the truth of it all. And then just really opening our eyes to 
shall we say, the cultural forces in this digital world around us to really understand it and give it gave us perspective to look at it and really to navigate, you know, what is this great destiny God has for us? Well, it's intimacy with him and in him with all others forever. And we get to do that now. Like, is that not the purpose of this existence? You really painted that uh, marvelously as you describe and gave us great wisdom of your generation's challenge in that. And I have great hope. I mean, I have great hope with what the Holy Spirit is doing. If he's doing with leaders like you, wow, we've just got tremendous hope for uh, the entire world, not just for the Catholic faith, but uh, the Catholic faith's instrumentality is a real, living, vibrant, transformative, healing presence for every human person on this planet. Just so excited that you've been with us tonight. Folks, thanks. You're with Greg and Stephanie Schlitter on Ignite Radio Live. We are so excited you're with us. For more programs uh, of the past, some really good, edgy, challenging, insightful conversations, go to IgniteRadioLive.com and certainly join us in the journey. If if tonight something was speaking to the depths of your heart, a desire for greater intimacy, I think these twofold fundamental yearning of every human person to be known, to be loved, and to love. Um, God is, the, the provision for that is family. It's marriage and family and certainly friendships. And uh, join us in discovering that more fully and receiving the gift at I love myfamily.us, the cornerstone of civilization. Family fully lived is going to transform this world from the very beginning and uh, I think by God's destiny throughout. So let's have hope. Let's have confidence. And I just have to ask you one final question, Kailish. If you had to shoot, and I know this is prayer, but if you had to shoot in the dark in prayer and faith, where is Kailish going to be 10 years from now? That's a great question. I think in business and in life, I'm always trying to focus on what and not trying to focus on when. Mm. So I hope that the what over the next decade of my life is to certainly be able to be open to a relationship with someone and have a family. But in the professional sense, I want to just meet as many great people as I can mm. in the conservative movement and the Catholic movement. And I want to develop friendships and relationships that are going to allow me to share these thoughts. And I also want one of the what's to be that we start looking at technology in a different way and that as a society, we are not um, subservient to these corporations. And instead, we exact our vision of morality and our vision of society into these businesses and into the internet. And if that's the what over the next 10 years, I will be extremely happy. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm the most blessed person you can possibly mm-hmm. imagine. And I get to focus the next, the rest of my life really on some of these more ideological pursuits and that's what my what is going to be. Mm. We are so blessed by you and with you and united with you on the journey. I do hope that we have the occasion near term to actually meet you. Catholics, when they unite in the Holy Spirit and come together, the kingdom is among us and so delightful to be journeying with one another. So thanks so much for your time and thanks for being with us. Oh, yeah.